everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Beekeeping for Newbies. This is Jeff, and this is episode 19. Thank you so much for tuning in today and for listening. I do appreciate you. As always, if you have any questions or anything I can help out with, just feel free to drop me an email at jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. So I'm coming to you live tonight from the apiary here. This is a wild and crazy Saturday night. You have no idea just how crazy it's getting out here in the woods at the apiary. Yeah, that's about what it sounds like. Not a whole lot going on. But my goal here is to get this podcast out tonight, have it published by about midnight, 1 a.m., so that on the way back from wherever you are tonight at the pub or a friend's place or whatever it might be, you can listen on the way home. And then if you forget when you wake up the next day, you can listen again so I can get double credit. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. However However you're doing it and however you're making it happen, I definitely appreciate you. Got lots of things coming up in the next couple of weeks and episodes. Uh, you know, the one thing I wanted to touch on right now is, you know, I've, I've looked outside recently and I'm looking at my colonies and, uh, you know, there's a lot of bearding and there's a lot of, you know, outside the colony activity. And, you know, that can be a little, you know, a little daunting, a little bit disturbing for a new beekeeper wondering what's going on. We're going to talk about that and help you kind of kind of manage that a little bit. Before we jump in, I just wanted to hit on a couple of uh, just a couple of personal updates. First one here is I uh, had a uh, great visit with an old army buddy, came to town for 4th of July, and uh, and I haven't seen him in a year, but always great to catch up with he and the family. Did a little trip up to Cape Charles, saw a parade, fireworks, went to a uh, little, little cider place up there called uh, Busky Cider, good folks, had some fun there. Fireworks in the evening, I think a couple days later we saw a baseball game, watched the Tides get it handed to them last Tuesday, that was pretty embarrassing, and uh, did a little bit of fishing, and uh, we may have been overserved once or twice, but that is, uh, that is something that happens when old buddies get together, but that was uh, definitely a good visit, appreciate him coming to town. The other update that I have is I was, I was actually planning to come down to the apiary right before the storm, the tropical storm that came through. I wanted to come down and uh, check everything out, make sure things were tightened down, and I really wanted to burn the last of that burn pile before the storm got here because that rain would really help to keep things under control and uh, prevent extension. But I had my second COVID shot the day before, and uh, I was feeling a little bit run down. I just, I actually, quite honestly, I felt worse than I did when I had COVID last year. So uh, I just, you know, I just kind of decided to sit tight, stay home, watch a little TV and relax. Anybody who knows me, obviously, is probably hearing this and saying, what do you mean? You said you weren't going to get the shot. Yeah, I was dead set against it. Uh, I, I, I was just really basing it off of what I learned in you know, like I guess middle school, high school, and college that, you know, once you have a virus, your body creates antibodies and you wouldn't need a vaccine. But this is a very unique and special virus that is different from what I've been told. So uh, I wasn't going to get it, but I also recognize that in order to leave the country and go to another country, they're going to require me to have it to get in. So I did what I had to do to make sure I can leave. That being said, uh, the episode title here today is uh, Beat the Heat. I chose that title because it reminded me of the old basic training days. And, uh, you know, the drill sergeant would be, would be walking around and it was hot out and they would just randomly say, Beat the Heat. And everybody had to scream back, Drink water. And then you had to take out your canteen and take a big old drink of water. But I, I used that because the bees at this time of year it's really, really easy for the colonies to get stressed out. 
So you think about the, the spring where there's this massive nectar flow, big buildup of population. They're packing everything in. You've done everything right. You've managed the um, you know, swarm prevention. You've got your honey supers. Maybe you've recently extracted some honey. So you've been you know, doing everything you can to keep them happy. And then you look outside and you see this massive beard off the front of the hive or you see them you know, just all over the place and you're trying to figure out you know, what's going on. The three things I think you want to keep in mind here are going to be water, ventilation, and space. You know, at early in the season, a lot of times it, you had to make sure you had a larger population or you at least had to use some caution when splitting early because you needed to make sure that those cooler nights that the there were enough nurse bees to cover the brood and keep them warm. Now at this time of year, you can actually, if you're supplemental feeding and you're giving you know pollen substitute and things like that, you're still simulating a nectar flow for them. So now your situation can actually get compounded and get a little bit worse because you have new brood coming in, new bees being born, and they're all hot, they're irritable, and you can kind of create some some conditions that would be favorable to a late-season swarm or even them absconding and, and leaving altogether. So we're going to talk about, again, you know, water ventilation in space and what we can do to, uh, to help address that. You know, and if you're thinking about the temperatures – Back around the springtime, you can get anything. I've had spring freezes. I've had, you know, down around zero degrees Celsius, 32 Fahrenheit. I've had that happen before. It's been a couple of years, but it's not uncommon for temperatures to get down into the 40s or or low 50s. You know, right now, I would say that you're probably looking at probably somewhere 69, 70 to 73, 74 uh, Fahrenheit at night. So like 20 to 21 Celsius. Or in, during the day, you're probably somewhere in that 84, 85 Fahrenheit to maybe as much as 100, uh, 100 degrees. So this would be like a 29 to like 37 range on the Celsius scale. Notice I'm trying to accommodate our, our number two listenership in Canada. So thank you folks up there. But being mindful of all these variables and factors definitely will help you to make a better decision as to the interventions that you're going to do to make sure you're keeping them cool. So water source. When I first started beekeeping, I learned that, that water was important as part of the cooling process. I thought, okay, well, I'm going to put a bucket out. I'm going to make a little float, something I can put in there the bees can land on. They can drink the nice fresh water. And I put it out, and I go and check the next day. And it was only 10 feet from the hive. Walk over the next day, not a single bee on it. So I thought, okay, well, maybe it'll take them a couple days. Four or five days go by, not a single bee on it. Look about 15 feet over to the other side. There's a dirty, funky puddle of water, and there's 15 bees drinking out of the puddle of muddy water. So don't worry about making a you know something. You don't have to go get some Fiji water or anything fancy. You know, just make sure that there is something around that they can drink from. But obviously, being mindful of the fact that if something is there and there's a continuous water source, you might be making a breeding ground for mosquitoes. That's obviously something you want to be thinking about either way. On the ventilation side of it, there's a few different things that we can look at, and I'll just kind of start that off, you know, kind of really at the bottom. If you consider what a hive would look like or a traditional colony would look like in a tree, you know, you don't have vented bottom boards. You don't have, you know, holes cut in the sides for ventilation. They have to just find ways to ventilate the hive themselves. They have to find ways to you know, position themselves and fan and do all these things on their own based on the the natural contours of the tree that they're in. The benefit that we have as the beekeepers is we can just kind of observe what's going on and we can make adjustments as needed. 
at this time of year, actually usually a little bit earlier, I'm just a little bit behind the eight ball, but at this time of year on some of my local hives, like some of the colonies I keep at the house, that's where I'll go ahead and switch over to a screened bottom board. Now with the screen bottom boards, if you buy one commercially, they're going to have a set of rails underneath of them. There's a couple of things you can do with the rails. One of them is you can actually, I haven't done this myself, but I know some people who have put a light coating of some oil on there. And then the idea would be that if mites were to fall all the way through the hive and somehow make it down to the screen bottom board and land on this board that has these grids on them, you can count the number of them that land within a certain grid and estimate how many mites are in the hive. I don't do that. I don't use that. I don't think it's accurate. I just don't think it's the best way to do things. But what a lot of folks also do is they'll leave the screen bottom board there year round and they'll insert a piece of like thin wood or something that covers that entire space in the colder season. And that way they don't have to swap out solid bottom boards and screen bottom boards back and forth. Whatever works for you, whatever you know style works best for you, go with it. I mean, if, if there's a little bit of a crack somewhere and there's some air coming through, the bees are pretty good about going through and filling some propolis in there and, and taking care of that. I just, for the couple that I have around the house, I just go ahead and just swap bottom boards and, and screened bottom boards back and forth as the season changes. So I usually get them in around, you know, mid to late June, on the screen bottom board, and then I switch over to the solid bottom board in September, and I'm done. Now, another thing to keep in mind is how you're positioning these boards, whether you're using a stand or whether down the ground or maybe using center blocks. As air is flowing by, as a breeze is blowing by, having air coming from underneath as well can certainly help to provide some ventilation. If you have them really low to the ground or maybe there are there's some kind of a stand that goes all the way around but doesn't allow air to flow underneath that could make things a little bit warmer inside the colony but by implementing other measures within that hive you can still obtain the same result of of allowing them to more effectively cool the hive working your way up from there if you want to create additional ventilation in a single hive body you can certainly drill a hole and put some hardware cloth over that hole you know staple it in place to add a little bit more airflow the one kind of cautionary note, and, and it's really probably not even that big of a deal, but keeping in mind that if you have a smaller, potentially weaker colony, and that scent of that honey that might be stored is out there blowing through the wind, you know, it may att- potentially attract those who want to rob or others who might be interested in, in seeing what's going on within that colony. Is it going to make a big difference? Probably not, right? But the approach that I really do like is the vented top cover. I've been using these for years. I primarily started using them to overwinter. I know I've brought it up before, but I've primarily used them to overwinter, and they've made a big difference, which I'm going to talk about in the overwintering episode coming up here shortly. But they are also great for providing ventilation in the summertime. Now, if you want to make your own, absolutely, it's a piece of cake. You can put a couple of holes, maybe two holes in the front, two holes in the back, three on each side. You can make more, you can make less. It really doesn't matter. But what you're trying to do is create holes for ventilation, cover them with, you know, number eight hardware cloth, give a little bit of a space buffer in there to allow that hotter air to kind of rise up and disperse. And that will make a significant difference. Now, the last thing in this category here is going to be space. I mentioned about space. If you open the colony, and of course, you've already, you've walked up, you see tons of bees outside. You open up the hive components and you're going through doing an inspection and you just see just bees all over. 
that's kind of getting you to a position where they may be stressed out. They may be on the verge of absconding. The simplest, easiest thing to do, again, if it's a good, strong colony, this is not going to be an issue at all. Just give them more space. Add a honey super. Add another, you know, if you have a single deep, add a second deep. You know, just do something to give them more room to move around. And again, particularly if you're still on a nectar flow or if you are supplemental feeding, they're going to need more space anyway. And if for some reason you come back in a week, 10 days, two weeks, and they're not using that space at all, and all the bees that were outside are now back inside, you can always take it away. You don't have to leave it there forever. But on these particularly hot days, giving them a little more space to move around while still providing protection for them makes a big difference. You know, you have, uh, let's say you have a couple thousand bees hanging out outside the colony, and then it starts raining and pouring down rain on them, right? I mean, normally they can kind of crawl back inside, and it's not the end of the world. But I've seen situations where they get kind of beaten down by a big storm, and, and several of them end up dead on the ground. So, you know, give them as much space as you can, and, and those problems can usually kind of take care of themselves. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and just take a uh, quick break and uh, let the sponsors do their thing, and we'll be right back. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right, everybody, thank you for staying with us here, and we're going to get into part two of the episode and jump into some listener emails and maybe talk about a few other things that we've got teed up here in the coming weeks. So right now, I've got a couple of things I wanted to uh, review real quick. So we got an email from Laura out in Washington State, and she had a challenge with a single brood chamber with honey supers above that. They're running a queen excluder under there. So we've talked about this type of configuration before, right? Nothing wrong with this single deep, queen excluder, and then you just run your honey supers above that. So that's exactly what, what Laura's doing, uh, first-year beekeeper. And the problems that she's running into is, you know, these deeps are completely packed, right? There's just wall-to-wall, as, as full as they can possibly be. She's using the right cell foundation from Man Lake, which is kind of the same stuff that I've been using for, for several years. 
and they're just not drawing it up. They're just not, they're not going in there. They're not accepting it. They're not doing anything with it. This is not an unusual or uncommon problem. I've had it happen to me as well. In fact, it's something that happens to that foundation almost every time I use it. From the factory, when they make it, it's going to come with a light coating of some wax. But it's really not enough. I think that I've had good luck if I take it right out of the box, throw it into a colony. They usually accept it pretty well. Once I've had it for a season, that no longer applies. So what I end up doing is, is a couple different things. I've had some luck with right before I put them into a colony, taking sugar syrup and just kind of spraying them really good on both sides and dropping them in. That has seemed to help and make things better. But the most effective route, I've just used, you know, old comb that I've had in other colonies. I haven't tried any kind of commercial wax or melting down an old candle or anything like that. I just use regular, you know, beeswax that I've got from other colonies but you could also probably melt down some foundation as well. But you, I, I grabbed an old pot, like a little boiling pot from, uh, I think it was like Goodwill or something years ago. You just put it on a little burner outside. I mean, you can do it inside if you want. I would I'd probably recommend, you know, doing that in the garage, particularly if you're a guy. Don't go into the kitchen and start destroying your wife or girlfriend's kitchen with melting wax and stuff. Man, you're not going to hear the end of that one. So just, that's a no-go. Don't do that. But anyway, melt that wax down and then just get a regular paintbrush and brush that on both sides of your frames and do that with all of them. Let them dry, you know, dry real well and cool and then in, and put those into the hive. I think you'll see a much, much better acceptance when it has that fresh, natural kind of comb smell and feel form. That should make a big difference. You know, we've talked before about the trick of, you know, moving moving frames up and, and other things you can do. But in this case, that would not apply, right? You're talking about a deep brood chamber that would be having to move up into a medium honey super. That just would not work. Now, the next email I have is from Robert, and he brings up a couple of questions and points around some of the ads and, and the breaks and the volume and things with the podcast. So this is more of a kind of a technical non-B question, but I wanted to make sure I brought this up because if someone else is experiencing this in the same way and, it, and it's as challenging for you as it is for, for him, I definitely want to want to hear about it. But I also want to kind of shed some light on how things are done sort of technically. So once I put the material out there, uh, you know, I upload it and then it's the actual podcast host who handles all the volume and and the ads, you know, which ads are put on, which of their customers are actually buying specific spots on different shows and things. So that's 100% managed by them. I can't control the volume, unfortunately. All of my volume settings were done through a friend who helped me get everything tuned in based on kind of industry standard best practices and all this kind of stuff that I know absolutely nothing about. But there's a whole lot of it that's really out of my hands. Now, one thing I can influence, you know, when I first started the podcast, I was not ad eligible. I was not doing any advertising. I just talked for a little while, and when I was done, I closed everything, and and that was that. As uh, listeners increased, then they reached out and said, hey, you're eligible for advertising, and I said, great, let's do it. And then I kind of had to go back and sort of retrofit ad places into the old podcast that I'd already done that I had no plan to put advertising in. So I think in those first five or six episodes, it can be a little bit goofy and I apologize for that. Uh, I'm trying to make it better and make a more smooth transition and, and make it flow a little bit better. I'm just, again, still in kind of my rookie season here as well with some of these uh, technical AV things, but I'm doing the best I can to figure that out. Okay. And the last question that I had was from Michael and he was asking about 
um, natural herbicides. Like any recommendations on natural herbicides to put around the colonies? He, I think he's up in Wisconsin, and he mentioned that, you know, it's just there's all these things that are popping up around the, the uh, hives, and there's rocks in the area, and it's just it's really tough other than, you know, manually cutting everything. And you're just trying to figure out what might work. And I, you know, my gut instinct on this one was to go to what I had done because I lived near the water and uh, I was trying to find something natural that I could use to, you know, kill weeds and things. And I kept coming up with things that were vinegar and lemon. And I was kind of going to default to that. And I thought, well, let me just double check because I, and this is not an area that I have a lot of expertise. And one of the first things I read was definitely don't use vinegar around the bees. Apparently it kills them on contact. So this is not something that I've, I've done or experienced, but I wanted to pass that along as kind of a public service announcement there. Definitely don't do the vinegar thing. Now I can tell you what I do is uh, there's a couple of different things you can do depending on your situation, the equipment you have and all of that. What I tend to do is I have a, one of those DR brush mowers. So if I'm going to a new area that I want to put down a few colonies, I'll come through with the DR first and I'll knock everything down. Once that's done, then I go with a bladed weed eater and I create a dust storm. Basically I go in and I will tear up all the way down to the ground as much as I can and just keep going until there's nothing left. And that seems to, to work pretty well as far as keeping, you know, most of the uh, weeds away for starters. But of course they're always going to come back and preventing them from coming back is always the real challenge. I think another idea might be laying down some landscape fabrics to do something similar to what I just did where you cut everything, lay some landscape fabric down and then maybe put something on there for some weight, some stone or something else to kind of hold that landscape fabric in place and then put your colonies on top of that. Another option might be if you were to palletize them, you could maybe, you know, come in in the evening, it gets dark, go ahead and cover the entrance, lift up with, if you had a, a tractor or, or a couple of friends, you could lift up the pallet, move it to the side, cut that area, and then move it back into place. If you only had a couple of hives, that wouldn't be a big deal. One thing I've also done too is I have a sawmill, and when you're, when you're sawmilling, there's always waste pieces from those first couple of cuts. I've gone ahead and laid down some boards on an area that was grassy or weedy. Just lay some of those scraps down there for, you know, five or six days a week, whatever. And then when you're ready to go put a colony there, everything that's under it is dead. So maybe throwing a couple of old boards or, you know, a log from a wood line might help with that as well. So just a couple of ideas there. I know that's not the the question you really asked. I think the one answer I found was an herbicide called 2-4-D. And from what I read about that, it said it's bee-friendly, but then there were other articles I saw that talked about how critical it was that you made sure the measurements were exactly right when you mixed it, and they were talking about some other potential harmful things there. So I can't really kind of advocate that. I would definitely say you may want to do some more research on that one. Unfortunately, I just don't have a lot of exposure experience in kind of this space. Like I said, the things I do work pretty well, but they are still a manual process. I'm going to go ahead and wrap things up for the night here. It is still a little hotter than I'd like it to be, and it would be nice to fire up that generator for a little bit and get some air conditioning going and try to get a good night's sleep. But I am still going to try and get the next episode out for you by next weekend, next Friday, Saturday time frame. There's a couple of questions that had come up a while back that I didn't get to that I really want to, but I, I wanted to take some more time with it. And one of them was mated queen introduction. So if you have a mated queen you know, what's the best way to introduce her into a colony? I want to talk about that. And uh, I've also got 
winterizing and winterization of the colonies is definitely a hot topic that has been coming up in, in multiple emails and uh, discussions I've had with folks. So I want to get that rolling along as well. And uh, the other question that I've seen pop up and, and something I think is worth talking about is combining weak hives or if you have queenless colonies, you know, that you have these bees that are just hanging out, but they don't have a queen. What do you do? You know, that's on the list too. And another thing that I wanted to talk about is something that I've been thinking about. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm going to float this one out there and, and see what, what you all think about this. But uh, I, you know, I enjoy being on the road. I enjoy traveling and, and getting out and, and seeing things, doing different things. One thing I was thinking about doing was, uh, you know, I got a couple of trips I've, I've got planned to go see some friends throughout the country in different places over the next couple of years. And I was thinking about the idea of maybe dropping by and if somebody's got something going on and they wanted to show me a co- colony or two, or they wanted to have me jump in and do a couple of inspections with them, maybe even be interviewed on the podcast with me and, and talk about what they're doing and how they're doing it. Just something I'm kind of thinking about brainstorming right now as a uh, you know fun thing to do. So if somebody's interested in that, I would say the two primary areas that you won't see me will be, be like New England or the West Coast. But anything kind of in between, you know, I would say somewhere from Virginia up through the Midwest, up into Michigan, Wisconsin, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, uh, Idaho, anywhere in those areas. Those are kind of places I've got buddies I'd like to see and, and places I'd like to go. I'd like to get up to Glacier National Park and do some fly fishing. So if anybody's in those areas and you're like, hey, man, I wouldn't mind having you drop by and help me do an inspection and talk some bee stuff with me or whatever, let me know because I'm just kind of thinking about maybe – Maybe going on some kind of a tour next spring or next summer sometime, or I don't know. We'll figure something out. Anyway, uh, I'm going to wrap things up and uh, call it a night. I hope everybody had a great 4th of July, and uh, the rest of your summer is going well. If you have any questions, as always, hit me up, Jeff, at beekeepingfornewbies.com, and we'll look forward to talking to you again here next week. Take care, everybody. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.